Welcome to the May 6th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is in 1 Kings 21 and 22. Hopefully, you've already spent time in God's Word, so let's get started. First Kings 21. As uh, we begin reading uh, 1 Kings 21, we've arrived at a story where a horrible injustice takes place. Um, But as the reader looks back on the story, we have the ability to realize that God is good and righteous and will not let injustice go unnoticed. Uh, Within the next few chapters, punishment is dished out by the heavenly judge. And so this is a this is a really good story. One of the one other thing I want to mention before jumping into the story is uh, you may have heard of the late Adrian Rogers who led who was the pastor at the first at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee um, for a few decades and his radio ministry really popular was called Love Worth Finding. Um in his sermons, uh, he periodically spoke of a previous pastor, two pastors before him at Bellevue, and uh, that pastor's name was Dr. R.G. Lee. Uh, well, Dr. Uh, pastor R.G. Lee was well known for preaching a sermon on the story that we're going to be looking at today, and he titled the sermon, Payday Someday. And it was so popular uh, back in the day, maybe back in the 50s or something like that. It was so popular that he was asked over the course of his ministry to preach it at tons of different churches. And it's estimated that he preached the sermon more than 1,200 times. Uh, I'm going to provide a link to uh, that sermon, Payday Someday. You can look for it online if you want to. Uh, there are there's video of it, uh, but I just want to let you know that it's d- delivered in a different style than sermons are today. But it's a classic, and it's worthy of your time. It's called Payday Someday, and it's about the story that we're looking at. All right, so let's get to the story. At the beginning of First uh, Kings twenty one, we are introduced to someone we have not yet met, and his name is Naboth. In 1 Kings 21, verse 1, it says, Some time passed after these events. Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard. It was in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. Unquote. So as uh, we read further, we realize that King Ahab wanted this plot of land and he wanted it really bad. It was conveniently located next door to his palace and he desired to uh, plant a garden there. Uh, So he approached Naboth and asked for the land, but Naboth told him that, uh, well, actually he told Naboth that he would either give him a better plot of land somewhere else, or he'd give give, uh, Naboth the property's worth in silver. He thought he was being very generous. Well, Naboth, his answer, he said no. Why? In verse 3, But Naboth said to Ahab, As the Lord is my witness, I will never give my ancestors inheritance to you. So that's what he's talking about. He's not saying, I don't want to give up this property. I don't want to move. My wife has already moved three times in the past five years. She said, we're not moving again. He didn't say any of that. He said, I will never give my ancestors inheritance to you. 
when, when we read passages like Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 28, and Numbers chapter 36, verse 7, we realize that the Lord had forbidden the selling of one's ancestral property. It was to remain in the possession of the Israel family, the Israelite family, and certainly never to be transferred from one tribe to another. So Naboth, when he said no, was obeying the Mosaic law. But while Naboth was uh, being ruled by the law, Ahab was being ruled by his passions. He went to the palace, quote, resentful and angry, unquote. And when he arrived, quote, he lay on his bed, turned his face away, and didn't eat any food, unquote. My goodness, he's pouting like a little child. And honestly, that's who this guy was. When his wife, who acted like his mom, and if you watch the interactions between Ahab and Jezreel, it does feel as if he treats her like his mom and he's the child. When his wife, who acted like his mom, heard what Naboth had done, she vowed to get that field no matter what. She was wicked and valued power. She cared nothing for the peasants, and Naboth would pay dearly for denying her husband, his king, what had been requested. This really is a pitiful, wicked scene that we're looking at. The king is pouting in his bed while the queen is about to plan to make an innocent, to have an innocent man killed so her husband can have a field to grow his vegetables. Listen to verses 8 through 10. So she, Jezebel, wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and nobles who lived with Naboth in a city. In the letters, she wrote, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people. Then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them testify against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king, and then take him out and stone him to death. Unquote. Well, as we read verses 11 through 14, we observe that these instructions were carried out. Naboth is falsely accused and in shock, and he's thrown to the ground as his enemies threw rocks at him until he died. When, Jezreel, uh, when Jezebel heard about it, she told her husband, who was still pouting in bed, he got up, maybe wiped his tears away, and he went down to look at his new piece of property. Everything in us is crying out for justice. An innocent man, a man who was merely obeying God's law, is murdered. And the evil woman who orchestrated his death, and the pouting man who was completely unmoved by the injustice, they're alive and well. Where is justice? My friend, God is a good God. He's also just. The Bible makes this abundantly clear. Sometimes he chooses not to administer justice until after a person steps through death's door and stands before him to be judged. But there are plenty of times when he makes things right in the here and now. This story shows us what it looks like when God administers justice in the here and now. Listen to verses of 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 17 through 19. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Get up and go to meet King Ahab of Israel, who was in Samaria. 
He's in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. Tell him, this is what the Lord says. Have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. Unquote. So the Lord spoke through Elijah to pronounce judgment upon Ahab. This would have required much courage on Elijah's part, but he was simply being obedient and leaving the results to the Lord. But what about Jezebel? Well, she's actually the one who conspired to kill Naboth. Just listen as Elijah speaks to Ahab in verse 23. The Lord also speaks of Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel, unquote. So the Lord also pronounced judgment upon Ahab's family. They would be wiped out like the family of Jeroboam because of all his evil, then we observe something spectacular. We can't help but see how wicked Ahab is, but we get a deeper understanding of just how gracious God is. When Ahab hears all of this, we're told that, quote, in verse 27, quote, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth over his body, and fasted. He laid down in sackcloth and walked around subdued, unquote. If I were in God's place, I'm telling you, I would have been unmoved. Ahab is so utterly wicked that his repentance would mean nothing to me if I were God. But friend, God is not like us. He is moved when he sees broken people. So the Lord sent one more message to Ahab. Listen to 1 Kings 21 verses 28 and 29. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? I will not bring the disaster during his lifetime because he has humbled himself before me. I will bring the disaster on his house during his son's lifetime, unquote. Do you want to get God's attention, friend? Then just Humble yourself before him. Cry out to him. Be broken before him. Weep over your sin or your desperate need. He is attracted to broken, humble people. Just listen as I finish out the comments on 1 Kings 21. Listen to what Isaiah said about how our God is attracted to those who humble themselves before him. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. And it says this. For the high and exalted one, so that's obviously talking about the Lord, for the high and exalted one who lives forever, that's God, whose name is holy. Wow, he's just really being built up. This is wonderful. This is God after all. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place. And if Isaiah stopped there, stopped quoting God there, we would say, well, that makes perfect sense. You're high and exalted, so you live in a high and holy place. That makes sense. But listen, God doesn't stop there. As God continues to speak through Isaiah, listen to what the Lord says. I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit. God says, I dwell with the oppressed and lowly of spirit. 
to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. God says, I love hanging out with those who are broken, who are humbled, and I want to help them do better. I want to help them get better. I want to bring revival. I want to bring restoration. I want to bring cleansing and forgiveness and help. God said, I am attracted to those who are humbling themselves before me. So friend, once again, even wicked Ahab, when he humbled himself before God, that touched God's heart and God extended grace so that the disaster wouldn't happen in his lifetime. It would happen later. Okay, so let's look at 1 Kings 22, verses uh, 1 and 2. Listen to this. It says, There was a lull of three years without war between Aram and Israel. However, in the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit the king of Israel. So everything within us wants to reach into the pages of Scripture, grab Jehoshaphat by the collar, and give him a good shaking and ask him why in the world he would visit with such a wicked king. It's only going to mess him up. And we read about this in the principle that's found in 1 Corinthians 15.33. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Right? I mean, even our parents have told us things like, You become like who you're around. That's a biblical passage. That's something that is found in Scripture. And so Jehoshaphat is only asking for trouble whenever he's going to hang out with a wicked, wicked man. So... um. We, King Ahab asked Jehoshaphat if he would go to war with him against Aram. Aram had claimed a city that belonged to Israel, and Ahab wanted it back. Well, at least we read in verse 5 that Jehoshaphat asked Ahab, First, please ask what the Lord's will is. This should be our moment-by-moment heart's desire. We should be like Jehoshaphat right here. Even though he's hanging out with a wicked king, we should have that desire that uh, before we make any decisions, we should be thinking, what does the Lord desire in this? What is the Lord's will? What would he have me do? Well, how can we get to this place? Well, one of the things is to follow the instructions of 1 Thessalonians 5.17 and just continue to remain in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Never hang the line up with the Lord. You're always spending time with him. And uh, one of the ways that, uh, that we're staying close to the Lord is we're just talking with him and listening to him in his word, depending upon his Holy Spirit. Well, Ahab uh, gathered about 400 yes-men, prophets, who told Ahab to march against the king of Aram and the Lord would hand over the Aramean army. Well, Jehoshaphat could see right through this and asked in a way that immediately discredited the 400 prophets and Ahab for assuming that the Lord was speaking through them. Listen to verse 7. But Jehoshaphat asked, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here anymore? Let's ask him. <laughs> yeah, a big slap in the face to the 400 guys that had just told Ahab they should that he should go. But Jehoshaphat was perceptive enough to see right through them and realize they were not hearing from the Lord. They were just telling Ahab what Ahab wanted to hear. Well, the prophet 
Micaiah was called, but Ahab made it clear before Micaiah got there that he hated Micaiah because he never prophesied any good about King Ahab. He never prophesied anything good about him. As Ahab and Jehoshaphat waited for Micaiah to come, the other phony prophets continued to say that the kings of Israel and Judah should go into battle against Aram because they would win. The Lord would give them victory. Listen to 1 Kings 22, verses 11 and 12. Then Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, made iron horns and said, This is what the Lord says. You will gore the Arameans with these until they are finished off. I wonder if... He was being silly and putting those up to his head, uh, acting like he was ramming something. Verse 12, And all the prophets were prophesying the same, March up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will hand it over to the king. Unquote. So imagine that you're Jehoshaphat. You see right through this. You observe prophets that are acting stupid and promising the king success in what he does, and then you observe Ahab who may or may not realize that they're frauds, still acting like they're credible, still acting as if he's wanting to to move on what they are saying. Well, I'm telling you, with the pastor's eye, I see this situation and I cannot help but see the similarities in the sort of preaching and teaching that takes place in places of worship across our land and around the world. It's the sort of preaching that never deals with sin, It never seeks to bring about the harsh feelings of conviction in those who show up. Instead, it's the kind of preaching like these false prophets that just wants to tell people what they want to hear, regardless of what the truth is. It really doesn't care about uh, people. That This sort of mentality does not care about people enough to give them the truth. It is simply an act of self-preservation so that the congregation will like the pastor and keep coming back. While we affirm Jehoshaphat's desire to get into an alliance, while we cannot affirm Jehoshaphat's desire to get into an alliance with King Ahab, we can certainly admire the fact that he saw through all of this and wanted to actually hear a true message from a true man of God. And when we look back in 1 Kings 22, we observe that the messenger who went to Micaiah encouraged him to simply agree with the other prophets. Essentially, he was told, just tell the king that the Lord approves of you going into battle and you will be victorious. Just tell King Ahab that. 1 Kings 22, verses 15 and 16. So he went to the king and the king asked him, Micaiah, should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should we refrain? Micaiah told him, march up and succeed. The Lord will hand it over to the king. Unquote. Apparently, and I, the, the way I read it, I, I believe he was being sarcastic. I think his obvious sarcasm was so apparent um, that Ahab said, essentially told him to stop and to say exactly what the Lord had said. You know, stop doing all that, that crazy talk. I know you're not speaking the truth. Tell me what the Lord told you. Verse 17. So Micaiah said, he got a serious look on his face, I bet. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace, Wow. 
In so many words, Micaiah just said that Israel would be defeated and scattered in battle. He also, in so many words, said that Israel's master, King Ahab, was going to die in that battle. This was really bad news. Ahab wouldn't want to hear it. But was it the truth? Well, judging by what we read in the rest of uh, this chapter, Micaiah was completely truthful. Listen to this. Micaiah didn't speak the Lord's word because it was easy. Instead, he spoke the Lord's word because it was right and true. Friends, don't go to a church where the pastor and teacher simply tell you things that you want to hear because they are pleasant and positive. Instead, go to a church that speaks the positive, but also isn't afraid to speak the negative. If they're preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God, they will tell you the bad news that we're all sinners and we need to repent. But then they will tell you the good news that Jesus died so that we can be forgiven and assisted to live in a godly life. A former pastor of mine used to say, the good news Without the bad news makes the good news no news at all. But the bad news makes the good news great news. Well, back to our story. Micaiah continues to speak. He tells Ahab that the Lord himself had allowed the prophets to lie to the king so that he, Ahab, would die in battle. Well, King Ahab had heard enough. He wasn't going to listen to Micaiah anymore. And we read in 1 Kings 22, verses 26 through 28, it says, Then the king of Israel ordered, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this guy in prison and feed him only a little bread and water until I come back safely. But Micaiah said, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. And then he said, listen, all you people. As Ahab and Jehoshaphat headed off to war, Ahab had a great idea, at least as far as he was concerned. He said that he, Ahab, would wear a disguise so that he looked like any other soldier on the battlefield, but he encouraged Jehoshaphat to wear his royal attire. In other words, Ahab was concerned that Micaiah's prophecy would come true and he would die, so he thought he'd get uh, mix things up a bit and get the army of Aram to think Jehoshaphat was him with his kingly garments. He would be safe, Ahab would be safe, uh, would get back home and stick his tongue out at Micaiah. Well, the battle raged and Jehoshaphat almost got killed when the army of Aram thought he was Ahab, but when they realized he wasn't, they let him go. Then we read about a nameless soldier. And this soldier's actions teach us that regardless of what we do, if God has willed for something to happen, it cannot be stopped. Applied to this story, God had willed that Ahab would not survive, but King Ahab had disguised himself so that none of the enemy soldiers would know who he was, yet God's will was going to get done. 1 Kings 22, verses 34 and 35. Listen to this nameless soldier of Aram. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim, and struck the king of Israel, Ahab, through the joints of his armor. So this man, apparently of Aram, just put an arrow in his bow, 
pulled the thing back and just whimsically just aimed it somewhere and, you know, let the thing go and the arrow flew. But God had ordained that Ahab die, and so God ordained and directed that arrow to hit Ahab through the joints of his armor. So he said to his charioteer, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I'm badly wounded. The battle raged throughout that day, and King Ahab was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans, so he was there watching the battle. He died that evening, and the blood from his wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. Unquote. So the army of Israel was now without its king. So they scattered as Micaiah had said, but there was more. In the previous chapter, Elijah had uttered a prophecy about Ahab after he had wrongfully confiscated Naboth's vineyard after his wife uh, had Naboth unjustly killed. And, and what Elijah said was this in verse 19. This is what the Lord says. Have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. That was a prophecy that Elijah gave to Ahab. But it hasn't happened yet. Ahab's now died and he's bled in his chariot, but... Again, Elijah's prophecy has not happened yet. Well, listen to 1 Kings 22, verses 37 and 38. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. They buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria. The dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes bathed in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken." Unquote. Ahab has now died, and his son Ahaziah becomes king over Israel, and we'll read more about him a little later. The spotlight now aims at kings, uh, at Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, uh, who we've already observed in battle with Ahab. In verse 42, it tells us that he reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. It also tells us that he was a godly man, which we've already come to suspect since he had requested that Abraham, uh, that Ahab actually seek a legitimate prophet of the Lord. Listen to how Jehoshaphat is described in 1 Kings 22, verses 43 and 44. It says, He walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn away from them, but did what was right in the Lord's sight. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, and Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Unquote. So he was a pretty good guy. He was a godly guy. But definitely he had some blind spots, and eventually he would die, and his son Jehoram would become king of Judah. Now the spotlight moves back north to King Ahaziah of Israel. He only reigned for two years and lived such a godless life that we're told in the very last verse of this chapter, in verse 53, he served Baal and bowed in worship to him. He angered the Lord God of Israel just as his father had done. As we're reading through all these chapters, we can't help but see the brevity of life. We learn something about a king, and then he's dead, only to be replaced by another king who lives his life, and then he dies. We know all too well that life is a vapor. Before we know it, we're old and wondering where the time went. 
So we need to make the most of our time. We need to determine in the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of obedience to God's Word. Sooner than we realize, we're going to be standing before Jesus as He judges our life. Let's live in such a way that He will look at us as we stand before Him and He's assessing our life. That He looks at us, He smiles, He raises His hands and applauds. As he says, well done, faithful servant. Well done. Let's live like guys and gals that are taking the Lord seriously. Let's let's read about these kings and, and see how their lives are assessed. And maybe even write down some things that we would want people to say about us when we're gone. That's a good practice. I've actually done that. In my organizer, I actually have comments that I would love for people to be able to say at my funeral. Not that I'm going to give them words. They'll probably never see it. But I want to live in such a way that they could easily come up with those words on their own. I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly father. I want to be a godly, good leader and pastor and teacher. And I know you want to make the most of your life too because we are going to stand before the Lord one day. Let's not be like many of these evil kings. Let's take our walk with the Lord seriously. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and Lord, life is so short. Uh, The younger we are, the less we realize that. The older we get, the more keenly aware we are of the fact that life really is just a vapor. It's here for a moment and then gone. Lord, with whatever time we have left, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed tonight. But Lord, with the time that we have left, let us live for you with reckless abandon. Help us, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit to get into your word, to find out what it tells us to believe and what it tells us is wrong to believe, to find out what it tells us to do as far as actions and what it tells us is wrong to do. And with that understanding to desire and to make good on that desire to obey you so that when we are gone, people will be able to see us as an example. Lord, we're not so much concerned about what other people think of us, but we certainly want to leave a good, godly example. Uh, Father, help us to do that. Help us not to be like many of these kings that we're reading about who lived such a self-centered, wicked, sinful life. Lord, help us not to live an apathetic life, a life that makes little to no difference at all. Help us instead, Lord, to live a life where it's obvious to everybody that you are the most important thing, the most important person in our life, and that we're living for you. And as we live for you, that makes us, enables us to serve uh, you and to serve others, to be such a blessing to those around us. Uh, Lord, once again, help us to look for opportunities to share the gospel with others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you tomorrow. Thank you.